Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Well, growing up, I developed a love of reading. I would read anything that I could get my hands on, fiction, nonfiction, mysteries, sci-fi, fantasy, it didn't really matter. Uh, I wanted to read it. And I remember many days, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s growing up that my mom on, on summer days and weekends, she would drop me off at the local library while she would run errands around town. And I just thought this was great because I just loved my time there. I could discover new books and I could bring home a whole stack of books and I was like, man, they really are... Mom and dad are really invested in me learning and growing. And, and then I had kids, and I realized this was just free babysitting. <laughs> That's what this was about. And then I'm like, but wait a minute. I was like, I don't think the Champaign Public Library would be as excited for me to go drop my kids off today and just leave them there for the whole day while I'm going to go run errands. I, you know, maybe there's just a little bit of difference in, in parenting today uh, versus then. But, but I had a great time, and I loved it. And I, I have a vivid memory as a teenager of picking up a book uh, called This Present Darkness by Christian fiction author Frank Peretti. Now, has anybody else, have you read this book? You guys familiar at all a little bit? A few of you are familiar? All right. Well, just a few details for those of you who don't know. So this, this book details this natural and supernatural battle happening over this small town. Uh, and the characters include, you know, people, but there's also angels and demons and all this interaction that's happening in this. And it seems like the humans are just in, you know, hitting demons at every turn. And their only hope is their desperate prayers that they throw up uh, on behalf of the angels to empower them to fight that battle on their, on their behalf. Now, it, it's, it's fair to note that this was an attempt at something of a Christian thriller novel. So, so, but it was important because this was a formative time for me in, in understanding this whole realm of, of the supernatural. And what's, what is our role as Christians in this, in this battle that seems to be taking place and we read about throughout the Bible? Now, my upbringing in the Mennonite church honestly just didn't have a lot of background. Some of you may be shocked by that. But it just didn't have a lot of background in supernatural stuff. You know, it wasn't something that we talked about. At least they didn't talk about it with me that much. So I didn't have a very good grid to kind of understand what was happening here. So... You might be able to imagine with me, if you have ever read anything on spiritual warfare or demons, what my young brain did to me in that time. See, suddenly the whole world was like a minefield of potential evil spirits. I'm walking around the house. There could be a demon under every doily. Who knows what's going on? <laughs> you know, the, the, the basement, anybody else got a basement here? That might as well have been the pit of hell itself. The fear that was emanating off of that, at least until I could switch on that light switch, because you, I don't know if you know this, but electric lights are actually basically holy water to both supernatural darkness and natural darkness, right? It works both ways. And I know I'm not alone here. I know I'm not alone. Some of you know what's going on. You've been home alone. What do you do? You get scared? You flip on every light in the house with a battle cry that's going to blind every demon with those heavenly spheres of radiance. And then you take this tactical dive right into your, into your bed, because that's the, the armored fortress of your soft, downy comforter, right? <laughs> see, you see, for some of us, that might be the best spiritual warfare we've done all year, right? That's what we've done. Now, now clearly, Frank Freddy's book, it wasn't the Bible when it comes to understanding spiritual warfare or darkness, but it did do something. It, it, it highlighted that people 
are searching for an understanding of this whole idea of the spiritual realm and spiritual darkness. And we've been in this series called Kingdom Collision where we're, we're asking you to think about the world anew, that, to understand that there's both a natural and a spiritual realm that, that, that is part of the world that we live in. And see, last week, Di helped us to really understand this idea uh, of what that looks like. And she made a point that said, understand, like, that, that, dark, that darkness is still here, it's, but it is defeated. It's defeated, but it's not departed. And that's really important. Because it's important to understand this idea. Because if they're defeated, but they're not departed, that means they're still here. And so that's a key part in understanding the battle that we're facing. I mean, do you ever, do you ever look around the world today and find it? really easy to, to look at all the problems that we're facing and just be like, you get, you get really frustrated at, at people. You're frustrated at the people because you see them as the source of all the chaos and destruction that we see today. But see, we're going to learn th- today what our real enemy is. And it isn't man. It is this, this idea of spiritual darkness. It's Satan, it's demons, these evil spiritual beings. And if those things are real, then what do we actually do about them? I think the best thing we can do is probably stop and just pray right now. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you are our teacher and our guide. And it is you who wants to empower us and show us what you've done to set us up for success in this spiritual battle. Thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, throughout this series, we've been uh, looking at the book of Ephesians and kind of following along with some of the things it has in there. And I want you to want to take a look in uh, Ephesians right now. Uh, I want to take a look and read how the Apostle Paul views the realities of these spiritual forces of darkness in our world. And this is Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this Present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, Paul makes it really clear here that our, our fight's not against, against man, it's not against flesh and blood, it's against these forces of spiritual darkness that he describes as rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and, and spiritual forces in, in heavenly places, right? See, he saw these as real beings that, that were our enemy. And for most of us, we probably have a lot of questions about, like, like who is the devil? Like, is he a real thing? Is he, is he a real force of evil in this world? And, and how much are him and his minions actually, like, responsible for uh, in our world today? And, you know, we might think about the devil, and, and what's the first picture that comes to our mind, right? It's the guy with the horns. He's carrying a pitchfork. He, he looks like an evil farmer with a really bad sunburn, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's our picture. That's the modern depiction in our head. We, we kind of jump to those things that are just kind of these pop culture uh, depictions of what it looks like. And see, then for some of us, we might imagine nothing at all. And we need to unpack these two worldviews just a little bit more. Because interestingly, Barna Research Group did some, some research that was back in 2009 that said that a majority of American Christians believe that Satan is not a real being but is instead a symbol of evil. Now that's important because what's that saying is that a majority of Christians, not to mention those who don't even have faith, don't even believe that Satan is real. And see, this view greatly affects the way that people view and understand the suffering and chaos and problems of our world. See, if we don't have a correct view of spiritual darkness, it's going to really skew our understanding of our spiritual father. So is he real or symbolic? 
Because see, if Satan and his minions, if they're not real, then eventually we begin to, begin to source, uh, look for a source of evil in the world. We look, well, what is the source of evil then if he's not real? And we begin to explain away bad things happening as it's, it's God's testing and building of us, right? Things like, you know, uh, losing a loved one to cancer or a child getting ill, the loss of a job, war and injustice. Like the list could go on and on. I mean, think about those places of hurt and pain in your own life. Have you, ever, have you ever stopped and said, God, why do I have this loss, this pain? Why did you give this to me? See, it's really, really easy to start to look at God as the source of evil when we don't, if we don't understand that there is an actual real enemy seeking to bring hurt and suffering to all of us. See, evil can have a very real effect on us personally. And as we're going to learn, it actually can also have a very real effect on a corporate or societal level as well. And having this right kingdom perspective, it really helps understand that, 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 that spiritual darkness, having a perspective on that helps us to understand the reality of this kingdom collision thing that we're talking about here. See, I've got good news for you today. See, the enemy has already been defeated, right? We understand he's, he's defeated and not departed, so we still have to face him, but we are equipped. We're not powerless. We've been given every weapon we need to come against all the tricks that the enemy wants to throw our way. See, Jesus actually wants to show us how to combat spiritual darkness so that we can, can see the world live in the freedom that he paid for. Now, so today we're actually going to look at some of the keys to this battle. And one of those first keys that we really want to understand is this. Spiritual evil is real and not symbolic. See, we believe that Satan and demons are real. And, that, and that's consistent with the biblical context for understanding the redemption story that we see flowing all throughout the Bible. And it's very important to understand that, that biblical worldview because our own you know, scientific and rational mindset has been, while very helpful in improving our overall quality of life, it, it has also had this side effect of narrowing our understanding of the world to only the natural things that we can see or measure. And, and Putty did a really good job of unpacking that. But see, the Bible has a really clear understanding that there is both a natural and spiritual realm which are interacting and influencing us on a daily basis. Again, these were, these were really unpacked in the last two messages before this. If you didn't have an opportunity to hear those, go back and listen to Di and Putty's messages about this. It'll really help give you some context today for what we're talking about. So who are these rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces in heavenly places that Ephesians talks about? Well, let's start with, with Satan. See, we're introduced to Satan in Genesis, and, and we hear about him first described as this, this snake. But what he really is, is he's a spiritual being that's in a state of rebellion. And it's really important to understand that because uh, the invitation given to Adam and Eve was an invitation into that very same rebellion that he was part of. It was a rebellion against God. And so when he was asking them to eat of that fruit from the forbidden tree, he, he was inviting them into that place to say, hey, you too can be like God because that was his desire. So he's inviting them into that rebellion. And we're going to watch a, a video clip today from our friends at The Bible Project to, to dive into this a little bit more. And again, uh, The Bible Project videos are created by a group of biblical scholars who their whole desire is to create this series that helps us make the Bible more attainable and understandable to the modern reader today. And they've done a really good job with that. And we're going to jump into this clip uh, right where it's talking a little bit about, about more who is this snake in the garden. So let's watch this clip. Well, there are clues in the story that it's more than just a snake. 
Remember, Eden is a high place where the earth and its creatures overlap with heaven and its creatures. So the snake could be a spiritual being. Well, Genesis 3 points in that direction, and then later biblical authors fill in the picture. Like when the prophet Isaiah has a vision of God's heavenly throne room, he's surrounded and being praised by the spiritual beings. Yeah, these are the cherubim around God's throne. But when Isaiah sees these creatures, he describes them as seraphim, which in Hebrew means snake. Ah, so the snake is like a former staff member in God's throne room. So why is he talking to the humans? Well, the prophet Ezekiel understood this figure as a spiritual rebel who didn't want to live under God's wisdom and authority. He wanted to be God. All right, that's the same temptation the snake puts before Adam and Eve. Exactly. He says they could rule the world like God, but by their own wisdom. So they're all kicked out of the garden. Yeah, God says this rebel will now crawl on its belly. Where does it go after this? Well, the biblical authors offer subtle clues where this being is at work behind the scenes, animating division and hatred between humans. They also use a variety of images to describe this being. It's a snake, or a sea dragon, or a dark desert creature, or the king of death in the grave. He's also given many titles, like tempter, or the evil one, or the devil, which in Greek means the slanderer. But his name is Satan, right? Actually, no. Satan is not a name. It's another one of these titles, which is why in Hebrew it has the word the in front of it. The Satan means the adversary, because he isn't for anything. Rather, he's anti-everything working through lies to drag us back into darkness and disorder. Isn't this fascinating? See, the Satan is the adversary. He's our adversary. And you know what? He's real. He's not symbolic. And if you want a New Testament example of that, just look to the life of Jesus. If you remember the story of Jesus' uh, temptation after coming off of 40 days of fasting, he's preparing to step into his full ministry. And, and he's faced with uh, very real temptations by a very real being. He faces the adversary directly in that and overcomes him. See, in, in all these names for Satan or the, uh, the devil, like he's a slanderer, all those things, they're pointing to the nature of who he is. They're titles that help us understand that being. And in that, in that nature as the adversary, he's working against the very order of God. See, he's against everything and for nothing. See, we need to take note as Christians of this. Because too often, we're defining ourselves by what we're against. But see, we are actually called to be for this world. We are for the restoration of broken families. We are for solutions to poverty and injustice. We're for the healing of sickness. We're here for redemption and not condemnation. See, we're here to be a people of hope and love. And the Satan is a person of hopeless hate. See, now we're beginning to define a little bit of what this warfare is all about and the conflict that's happening between. So, so where did it all go wrong for humanity here? Let's, let's go back and look at Adam and Eve just a little bit because, again, Adam and Eve decided, hey, we're going to try to do this on our own. We're going to do it, rule the world, and we're going to do it on our own terms like God, even though they'd already been created in the image of God. They were totally deceived. And you know what? This is the very first documented case of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, right? That's what they were saying. See, I'm almost 40, but I know what the kids are thinking these days. I, I still got the lingo. See, this, this FOMO, it was, it was so strong, and it was incredibly destructive. 
See, we've always been tempted by what we don't have. And when we have that lens of jealousy over our eyes, everything we don't have looks better than what we do. So Adam and Eve, they give up their position of of honor that had already been freely given, and they step into what Satan pulls them into in this spiritual rebellion, opening the doors for pain and sickness and chaos. These men and women, they began to experience this, this brokenness in a very personal way. This personal evil uh, became very real. But see, it's not just uh, in personal ways that evil affects humanity. It also affects us in more corporate and societal ways. And that's where we, we take a look at some other characters here. It's where we look at, uh, take a look at these other beings that, that you sometimes hear in the Bible called other gods, right? The lowercase g. There's another set of evil characters that are also a big part of this rebellion that we need to understand. And these are where the demons and evil spirits uh, come into play. These false gods or rulers and authorities of this world. See, they're the real enemy behind most of the trouble that we read all throughout the Bible. And you know what? We're still dealing with them today. So we're just going to watch another clip uh, from, from this video that just helps explain a little bit more who these demons really are. Let's watch. Ancient readers knew exactly what was going on. The ancient kingdoms around Israel claimed to be founded and protected by giant warrior kings who were part human, part God, and filled with divine wisdom. Ah, I see. So the biblical authors are saying, hey, those warrior kings, they shouldn't be honored. Right. In this story, they're portrayed as human rebels who are captive to spiritual evil, spreading their violence in God's good world. Yeah, and one of those kings in Genesis 10 goes on to build the city of Babylon. Yes, Nimrod, whose name sounds like the Hebrew word for rebel. And his kingdom leads to the next rebellion where humans exalt themselves in Babylon. But God scatters that rebellion. And when Moses in Deuteronomy looks back at that story, he says that's the moment when God handed over the nations to worship the rebel host of heaven, the gods of money, sex, and military power. Moses is the first one to call them demons, that is, lesser spiritual beings. So demons are spiritual forces at work behind corrupt human power structures. Yes, but in the Bible, they also work on the personal level, animating and exploiting humanity's greed and selfishness, as well as the weakness of our mortal bodies. In the Bible, spiritual evil is at work in anything that drags God's good creation back into chaos, darkness, and death. So this is why when Jesus arrives on the scene, he said his primary enemy is not human. Right. Jesus and his first followers viewed all the pain and suffering in God's good world as a sign of its captivity to death and spiritual evil. But they didn't think this was the end of the story. Right. Jesus knew that the only way out of this cosmic ruin is to overcome evil and death itself, even if it costs him everything. Spiritual evil is anything that drags God's good creation back into chaos and darkness and death. You see, these demons were using their influence and they're using their influence over the nations and people of the world. Because remember, they're, they're defeated, but they're not departed. We face both an individual corruption, things like murder and death and disease, but there's also this corporate corruption we see today. We see it in racism and war and injustice and greed and so many more places all around. But see, just as God has always been working to redeem individuals to help carry out his plans, God has always set aside a community, a people unto himself to work as well. See, individuals were never actually meant to fight this battle alone. 
When you, when you look at the heroes of the Bible, you, never, you almost always see them working in the context of a nation or a community or a family. And so we see this in, in the nation of Israel as, God's, as the seed of God's plan to redeem all the nations, the whole world, back to himself. Now, does, does a community of people that God calls his own and he wants to partner with to bring redemption of humanity back to himself, does that sound like anything today? It's, it's us. It's the church. See, God has always wanted to partner with his people. It's been part of his character since the beginning of creation. And so we are called as the church to fight against these rulers and authorities as the body of Christ. See, the church was always part of God's plan. And so when we see this darkness that's happening, we see why the world became more and more desperate for an answer that could address the spiritual and human rebellion. But see, even as we know today that fighting those societal evils, you know what, it's going to take more than just changing a policy. Because we need a promise. We need to bring the promise of a savior that can bring a solution for both the supernatural and natural problems that are facing our world today. So what does our role look like in this? Well, again, some of those keys. We're, we're looking again. We have to understand the spiritual darkness is real and it's not symbolic. Satan's been defeated, but he's not yet departed. Are we powerless, though, against, against his efforts? Like, I understand spiritual warfare. It can, it can sound scary. It can sound weird. And, and many of us feel ill-equipped or ill-informed in, in doing battle against something that's spiritual. See, our imaginations will jump to these, again, you know, maybe the movie depictions of exorcisms and possessions, and we go like, well, what if I start praying for this person and their head just starts spinning around? Nobody's got time for that. I'm not opening up that can of worms. Well, let's just step back. Let's see what the Bible actually says. What does it look like as we step into this? Because it makes it clear we aren't powerless, right? Instead, we've been empowered in this process. And I want to read today uh, uh, verses from Colossians Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. And this, this really sets this foundation for what Jesus did for us both individually and corporately. So let's read here, starting in verse 13. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. See, again, this is him addressing that individual need that we all have. And we're gonna see him now moving in and we're gonna see how he addressed some of that corporate need, societal need next. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Come on. This is Jesus entering into the picture fully divine, fully human. He is God's ultimate answer and victory over the misguided effort of humanity to do it on our own terms. He answered our need as individuals and he answered it corporately because he addresses all the needs of our world and society. He disarmed these rulers in authority. He, take, he took away their main weapon against us, which was sin. That was the weapon the enemy was beating us up with and taking us to task with and it is gone. We face an enemy that's already been, all his weapons have taken away. He's been defeated. Okay, well, this still feels like it's just a little bit of theory, right? Like, what, what, what's really happening? How do I do this? Well, you know, I understand, and I, and, I, and I don't want you guys to feel like it's weird or it's scary, and, and, and I don't want you to feel like I did, like there was a demon in every dark corner, right? We don't want to be in that place. 
So sometimes a story can be helpful. But before I say that again, I want you to remember, everything we do is done in relationship and partnership with Jesus. So let me tell you a story from, from my own life. And, uh, you know, as, as many of you know, uh, we were privileged to welcome our fourth child and our second daughter, Molly Mae, into the world just a few weeks ago. Yes, you should give her a hand. She's adorable. I did that a little bit at the beginning. <laughs> the story isn't actually about Molly. I just found it as an easy way to insert a dad brag into my message. So. <laughs> but it is about the beginnings of our family. It's kind of connected. It works out. So uh, that's all right. They can't tell me no. <laughs> anyway, so Julie and I, we're about to start our family, actually. We're in the beginnings and early in our marriage. We've been married for a few years. And we say, you know what? It's time to have, we want to have children. Let's start our family. So uh, you know, a few months go by and we're still not pregnant. That's not totally unusual. But what is unusual is Julie's uh, body begins to have some irregularities. Her cycles begin to mess up and things aren't happening the way they should. And, and we begin to get a little bit worried because we've got a family history uh, uh, for her of, of infertility with, with Hap and Die. And Hap and Die's own struggle with infertility is tied into the, the beginnings of how God worked a miracle to start their family and also to start this church. So we're very familiar uh, with that story and, and what kind of happened in that battle. But, you know, we say, okay, we're going to continue to pursue uh, natural remedies. We, we pursue doctors and, and, and find out what's going on. And, and eventually she's diagnosed with something called PCOS. And some of you may be familiar with that. It's not entirely uncommon. But what was unusual is that she had no prior symptoms, no other health irregularities, up to the point that we said, we want to start a family. And then suddenly all things kind of go haywire. She's like, okay, well, now we know what it is. We can address it. We'll take, there's medicine that, they can, that she can be prescribed. And so she goes on medicine. And, and still, things are, are, are not coming back the way they should. And it, and it goes on for a year, and still nothing has happened. You know, again, this is this place where we, we're addressing it individually. But we've also, we're in relationship with a church family and a church body. And, and giving them space uh, helps, to give, helps them to start being perspective in this. And, and it becomes clear as we pray into this that, that there's more than just a natural battle that's happening here. God makes it clear that there's a supernatural battle happening at the same time. And of course, in all of this, we're experiencing lots of struggle of anxiety and worry and fear and all the things that come along with that. And I want, to, I want to stop here and, and just make it clear. I want to recognize that it's really easy to feel powerless and over, overwhelmed when you get into situations like this. However, as, as we're learning, we are equipped. We're not powerless. And again, being together in the body of Christ with a, with a family helped us gain some perspective on what we needed to go after here. And so uh, before I step back into that, actually I want to read now, how were we equipped to fight this and how are we to go about doing it? Well, I want to read it going back to Ephesians 6 again. And I'm going to go in here. We're going to expand a little bit on what we read earlier in verse 12. And again, in this passage, Paul is reminding us, uh, again, who, what is the real battle that we're fighting and how are we equipped to fight it? This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. You can follow along or you can read in your Bible or on your device. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given 
by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, first and foremost, what does it say? We do this in the Lord. It is about relationship. See, our relationship is restored by Jesus because he was operating in full union as a son of God. And so we too are no longer cut off from relationship with God by sin. Instead, we get to also operate as sons and daughters in union with Jesus. And next, we have to embrace this new identity. See, we're given, this new identity gives us this whole new armor, this new protection. Again, our identity was restored through Jesus. He operated free from the bondage and brokenness of sin. He was the first human since sin entered the world to actually operate from this place of righteousness, which means he was in right in his being. He was right with God. See, we too have been made righteous because of Jesus. We're free from the crushing weight of guilt and condemnation that sin wants to bring into our life. And we are free so we can set others free. See, now we're stepping into this battle again. And putting on this armor, this is putting on the very character and person of Jesus. That's what it's describing here. This armor is Jesus. See, we don't, we don't, Jesus didn't fight with physical weapons. He fought with the character and nature of who he was, and that's how we are to fight too. See, we get to fight with his truth and his righteousness and his peace and his faith and his salvation and his spirit and his word. So let's come back to our story now. See, we've understood, okay, how are we equipped? How are we to go about doing this, and who are we? We had participated again on the natural level. We'd done everything that we could, uh, but we recognize now, okay, this is, there's a spiritual battle happening alongside this natural battle. And so we gathered together with uh, some of our friends from church, some family, and we invited actually uh, Dave Newcomb, who's a longtime member here, and, and he, you know what? he has a real gift to kind of see what's happening in, this, in the spiritual realm. Again, see, the body of Christ is equipped with all different gifts so that when we need to come together, we have the right gifts to face the right battle. And so we brought in the people that we felt we needed to do that. And so as we, as we began to pray, God began to reveal this assignment of the enemy to bring infertility and how that demonic influence was actually attacking Julie physically in these areas of fertility. See, the Holy Spirit, he began to reveal these things. And so we did what, what, what Jesus tells us to do. We began to take authority. We began to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. We began to ask it to, to come and show us the truth, right, of what was happening to bring discernment. And as we began to pray and break those things off, you know, it was, it, things began to happen. We put on that full armor of God that God had asked us to do, and we began to fight like Jesus said. But I was a little bit new to this, so this was still a little bit weird when, when I see my wife go from being calm to suddenly have a very physical reaction to the process of breaking off spiritual attack. And she went from being very calm to coughing and sometimes gasping, even seeming like she was choking. And I'm like, what is going on? See, fear was trying to take a hold of me in that moment. Fear's not from, that's not in the armor of God, is it? No, no, he says stand firm. So there, surrounded by people who we could do this with, we continued to press in. And we begin to see God bring freedom and healing to her body. Now, I wanna, I wanna take a quick side note here because I wanna make it clear. Jesus, Julie didn't do anything to get oppressed by the spiritual darkness. She wasn't in sin or doing anything wrong. See, again, this is where our worldview becomes so important here. See, we knew that the enemy was attacking her, trying to keep her from the destiny that was living over our family. 
And that wasn't okay. And I'm not saying every instance of sickness has a demon, but we do know that supernatural, supernatural darkness introduced sickness and disease into the world. And that's why we're so passionate about praying for healing because we're bringing back God's good order into the world where the enemy is bringing sickness and chaos and death. Amen. See, after this prayer time, again, everything became calm and we knew that the Holy Spirit had done a work. We knew that. And we, and we saw like that, that, that beginning to come over her. And we saw uh, over the next few months, we have to live this out though. Okay, we have to be in relationship with the Father. We have to stand firm in that relationship just like we stand firm in the battle. And so we had to walk this out and understand what it looked like. Okay, we see things happening. Her cycle began to regulate like it hadn't before. Uh, she continued to stay on the medication. Again, we're pairing the natural and supernatural in this process. And it was less than six months later when we found out we were pregnant with our very first son, Ty. Yeah. And, and the amazing thing is that after Ty, Julie stopped taking any of the medication, we ever had any complications in getting uh, pregnant with our next three children, and she's never had to take any other uh, uh, medication or treatment for PCOS since then. It was only in that battle. See, the enemy would like nothing more than to derail your destiny by hurling spiritual chaos into your life. But the truth is that just like relationship and identity were restored, so is our destiny restored because Jesus took back the authority that we gave up to the adversary back in the garden. See, God's design was to share his rule with us, and Jesus' life showed us what that can look like because we are called to operate in the very same authority that Jesus operated in. How many of you know that Jesus wasn't just an example for us? He was an example of us. We are to live as Jesus lived. That's how he lived his life. And look, I understand that stepping into that battle can bring fear when we don't always know what we're facing. Because see, our fear of the unknown holds us back. Fear is the domain of the enemy. And in this case, the enemy should be afraid of you because you are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to fight every battle that you are facing. We are not to have fear. If Julie and I hadn't pressed past the fear, then we wouldn't be able to enjoy those four children that we enjoy today. That was the family and destiny that was trying to be derailed by the enemy. But we require, that game, this, this whole life thing, this, all of this battle, it requires steadfastness, right? It requires us to stand firm in our understanding of who we are, who Jesus is, and what he's called us to do. I can't guarantee it's always gonna be a quick and easy fix, but I do know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is faithful to get you through any of the trouble that faces you. See, if you're looking for more ways, too, to be equipped, I wanna encourage you. Do things like take the School of Kingdom Ministry. School of Kingdom Ministry is designed to equip you in all the things that we talked about here today and all the things we're talking about throughout this series. Join a small group. Get equipped with people around you. Do this as the body. Have people around you that can fight that battle with you. And as we conclude here today, again, I wanna, I wanna just bring back up three things that I want you to remember. And these keys, these are the keys to our battle that I want you to remember today. First and foremost, spiritual darkness is real and it is not just symbolic. See, we face a very real enemy, but that enemy is defeated. He's not departed. And that means we still have to face him. But see, Jesus has retaken that throne and authority that God intended for humanity in the beginning. And we get to walk right at his right-hand side, in union with him in that authority as well. In Jesus, our relationship with God is restored, 
our identity is established and our destiny is determined. See, we are equipped, not powerless. And that's the last key right there. We are not to walk in fear of that spiritual darkness. Instead, we are called to walk in boldness, fully equipped by the power of his Holy Spirit. See, this is our mission, to change the world with Jesus, fully submitted to his authority so we can release order by bringing hope and joy and peace and every spiritual gift back from the darkness and chaos of our very real enemy. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are here to teach us, to equip us, to walk us through these battles, God. We never have to face these alone because of you and because of the people that you've established here. God, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for their part in this battle to bring freedom to every single person around them, God. I thank you for the ways you're bringing freedom even today from these places where the enemy has lied to us and told us we'll never be free. Thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But we are privileged to step into another kind of, of spiritual warfare, and that's what worship is. Worship is warfare. Worship is flipping on that light in the basement, right? And it's way better than just those electric lights. See, this is how God wants to equip us. And I feel like God said he wants to equip us during worship. I just saw like even armor being put on to people during worship this weekend. And so as you're, as you're worshiping, as you're praying, I want you to be thinking about those places where you're doing battle. And let the Holy Spirit and his presence come and show you what he's doing. All right, let's stand for worship. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teaching.